Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, Bailey Hancock here. Welcome back. Today, we have somebody that I'm really excited to talk to because he's a person that um, our relationship kind of was founded over the internet. And since we actually officially in real life met probably about two-ish years ago, um, it's kind of gone back and forth between who's been able to help who and introduce each other to people. And um, he's just got a lot of really good advice in general. So Scott Asai is my guest today. He is the owner of Growing Forward and the Growing Forward Academy. And I'm going to let him tell you all about what that is. But we're going to get to learn all about Scott's personal career journey and then get some really great career tips from him. So Scott, welcome to the party. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Happy New Year to everybody. And um, yeah, I think Bailey's sort of right in her wheelhouse in terms of doing this podcast. So I think that you guys will really enjoy, whether it's myself as a guest or whoever, but I just think Bailey as a host is a really good fit. Hey, thanks. I love it. So it's kind of nice, right? When you stumble <laughs> across something that you're like, wait, this is really fun and hopefully it's helpful. That's the goal. Cool. Well, Scott, kick us off. So I always like to start with the question, what did you want to be when you grew up? Are you doing it? Um, how did you go to school? So start us at the beginning. Well, to be honest, I do remember when I was five years old, I did want to be a fireman. Uh, I feel like that's pretty standard for, for little kids. <laughs> yeah, didn't end up doing that. Uh, maybe it was my obsession with the color red when I was young or something like that. But um, in a weird way, though, I think you know, wanting to be that as a kid, you sort of want to be that hero, you want to be that person who helps other people, right? Like, I do see a little bit of crossover in terms of what I do now. Um, in terms of my career path, it's very unconventional. I think that's why it's interesting that I am doing what I'm doing now, because how I got there was much more of a squiggly path than it was a clear one. Which 100% um, so I graduated. pretty much everybody I know, by the way. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, I... So I graduated with like a, like a BA in psych because essentially I didn't know what I wanted to do and I really liked working with people. Um, and the first job I took, full-time job out of college was actually as a youth director at a church that I was working at. And um, I liked it. It was a really good role at the time, but I do remember one distinct moment I had with my supervisor on my first like official day of work. And just to give you some context, he and I were friends before. Um, he asked me the question, like, where do you see yourself in five years? And for some reason, my answer to him at that time was not here. And oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> that was I a mean, very brave answer. I know. Maybe because we were friends, I, I felt like I had the boldness to say that. But essentially, um, I grew up in a household where, uh, so I have two younger brothers and my mom and dad. And at a certain point in my life, I think four out of the five of us have been business owners. Oh, wow. I think entrepreneurship runs in the family. Yeah, I, I think so. Growing up seeing that, especially my mom, who has been a business owner for like basically since I've been born, um, I sort of always dreamed of doing that. So I think that's where my answer came from. And at the time, I didn't know how to do that. I just knew I wanted to do that. So, you know, fast forward, I think about five or six years after I said that, I went back to school, got a, uh, an MA in organizational leadership because I really love leadership development. And while I was doing that, um, 
I found out about coaching because I hired a coach. And, and so I, at that point, you know, I sort of picked his brain. And I said, how do you do this thing called coaching? And he was like, there's not really like a way to do it. You just, <laughs> you just start. People. <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay, well, you know, um, I felt like that's what I wanted to do because I really enjoyed it as a client. And so um, once I finished that degree, I basically left my job and started doing it. And because I had worked with middle school and high school students, I felt like the logical place to start was to help like college and high school students figure out what they wanted to do career-wise. Which so is so necessary because I think nobody really does that. They, you don't teach that in high school and middle school. It's so important. Right. I mean, in a weird way, I actually think that high school counselors go about it backwards. They help you focus on what colleges get into. But to me, it's like, well, what's the point of getting into your dream school if they don't even have the major you want? Right. It makes no sense. I mean, and I know it is really hard to have any kind of inkling of what you want to do when you're like 16. But I think there are definitely telltale signs of what you might be interested in. How did you help them get to that? Um, I mean, so I know one thing that you and I have talked about a lot. And I'm a big fan of is a strengths finder. Huge um, fan over here. Yeah, it's a basically a, a basic book you can get on Amazon for like less than 20 bucks. It is a online assessment that'll basically tell you the five things you're potentially great at. Um, for myself, I got introduced to that in my master's program and I really just took to it. And essentially what it is, is a lot of times we are passionate about things. We have experience in things, but we don't really know what we're good at. Absolutely. If you Which take is this kind objective of test and you figure out, <laughs> yeah, and once you sort of figure out what you're good at, you could start focusing more of your time there. And so for me, instead of like blowing my mind and maybe getting answers that I wasn't really um, sure about, it basically reinforced what I already knew about myself. So that was helpful. And it really pushed me sort of toward coaching. And it came at a time where it made a lot of sense to do something that I was really potentially good at. And so when I sort of work with clients or talk to people in general, I'll bring that assessment up like just because I want to. Oh, same. And it's just a very practical way to help people figure out what they're good at. Yeah, I think it's such a fantastic way to at least start somewhere because a lot of times when people are considering what to do with their lives, which is a ridiculous question, <laughs> but when they're trying to figure out what they should do next, the options can feel overwhelming because it seems like you can do just about anything anymore. And so the Strengths Finder is fantastic because it focuses less on what you need to improve about yourself, which is, I think, a lot of self-help books help you with your weaknesses. The Strengths Finder is like, no, no, let's just double down on like the five biggest strengths that you have instead. And so anytime I teach a workshop where people are trying to figure out their next career move, Strengths Finder is a requirement. I always make them take it before they come in because it's so valuable. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So did you use that with the middle and high school students? I did. So I primarily started using it when I started my business. So it was like high school and college students. Um, technically, they say the strength finder shouldn't be taken until you're like at least 15, 14 or 15 years old, just based on comprehension. I guess that makes sense. Who do you know? What do you know about yourself even at that age? Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, no, I when I have a client, when they're coming to me for career coaching or making a transition in their career, uh, I definitely have them take that usually before the first time we meet because the first session we talk purely about those results. Yeah, it's so fun. Scott and I actually did a session together where we walked through my top five strengths and it was so 
interesting because yeah, you can read about each one individually in the book or online, but when you work with somebody that is super well-versed in all of the different strengths and how they work together, that was what Scott and I focused on primarily. And it was really fascinating to see how, you know, my number one and number three strength actually worked well together. And then all five, how I could bring them all together to actually get in a position or a role that really suited my personality and my natural born strengths. Yeah. Super helpful. So, okay. So you started your coaching business. You start working with high school and college students. What happened from there? So, I mean, I've done really a mixture of that. I got into corporate coaching where essentially I was being like an executive coach for millennials at companies, which is probably the most lucrative. What does that mean Um, exactly? I mean, so people have heard of executive coaching, but it's primarily for like C-suite, you know, know, people. Right. Like the old business. Yeah. You know, people in their fifties, sixties and above. Right. And someone coming in at the time, you know, who's much younger than that, like, they would just give me dirty looks if I even approached them about that type of stuff. So I figured why not sort of play this generation bridge between baby boomers and say millennials and a couple of companies bought it. So I was able to kind of come as a contractor and do that where I essentially would step into an office, have someone for 45 minutes to an hour. And my goal really was to make them better after they left and before they came in. And I mean, with most things, performance and productivity have really little to do with whipping someone into shape. It has has more to do with helping them like remove the distractions in their life. And so much of it has more to do with outside of work than it does inside of work. So I found that over time, the supervisors that I would meet with about the clients I'd be talking to, they would trust me. Because if they ask me, like, what did you guys talk about? I mean, there's some confidentiality and I wouldn't tell them everything, but essentially little of it had to do with work, but they really didn't care as long as their workers were working harder afterwards. Right. I mean, improvement's improvement. I always say that like your personal life bleeds into your professional life and vice versa. And some of the like most miserable times in my working life were also some of the most miserable times personally. And it's hard to tell which influenced which. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, there's definitely a blur, I think nowadays, and I try to tell people that, you know, we try to have this, these two circles of our professional and our personal life sort of separate, but it's really not. It's just one big circle. It really is. It totally. And like the sooner you can come to terms with that and find a way to make both play nice with the other, the happier your life will be. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's awesome. How do you do that in your life? Do you have a good work-life mesh? Yeah. I mean, I think boundaries fortunately were something I was taught like early on and I think for myself um, I can get into my work for sure I mean I think when you're an entrepreneur and you don't have any structure as you know well yourself um, you have to create it right so um, and of course the tricky part is is that you don't get paid unless you actually do something you know yeah it is very tempting to spend all of your free time working because you know every minute you're not working is a minute you're not making money at least in the beginning obviously as you get more and more successful you have systems and processes things work when you're sleeping and that's the goal but in the beginning it is tough yeah I mean I think for myself um, and I'll go back to this probably later on in our in our interview too but um, I try to focus everything towards like the lifestyle that I want to live and and for myself you know life stage plays a big part into it. When I started my business, I wasn't married. Now I'm married. I have two young kids. 
And so time is really the most valuable currency to me more than money. And don't get me wrong. I mean, if you don't have any money, then you probably don't have too much time to do what you want to do anyway. But um, I really try to put boundaries in terms of um, knowing when my wife and kids are available and just trying to block that time out. And so for myself, I also learned that I'm the most effective in the morning and the afternoon, and I'm pretty much a wash at night in terms of doing work. So, so it works out well because then I can come home, have dinner with my kids and family and just sort of put stops on it. Um, and, but then when I want to get out and do work, I just go to the office or if, you know, the kids leave and my wife leaves and I'll do work at home, but, um, really kind of creating that schedule and making sure that I am sticking to it. I'm really jealous that you don't work well at night and you work well in the day. I'm the opposite. I'm currently struggling with this right now because over the last year and a half of me being my own boss, I've come to realize that my brain doesn't really turn on until at least 10 or 11 in the morning. And then I'm most productive from about 2 p.m. to 9 or 10 p.m., mm. which is no good because my husband works from about 6.30 in the morning till about he comes home from the gym at like 6. And when he gets home, he's like, okay, let's hang out. And I'm like, oh God, I'm like right in the middle of a lot of really good work. So I'm still trying to figure out whether I can manipulate that. He doesn't get it because he's like, you're your own boss. You, you work when you want. I'm like, I know but as my own boss, which means I'm my own manager, I recognize that I am most productive and I think best and get the most work done during those evening hours, which is really hard to, to deal with because our schedules do not overlap in that capacity. So I'm having to figure out how to, how to force it a little bit um, mm -hmm. and then also just lean into the fact that that's kind of my rhythm. Yeah, I mean, I think over time you'll figure it out and I'm sure you can make some adjustments, you know, too. Um, but for myself, like I didn't figure it out right away. I think it's just sort of a trial and error type thing. Um, and I think like most things in life, you, you fall into a routine that works for you and you find out like when you have the most energy and the most focus and you just try to make sure that you protect those times. Yeah, I think being protective of your time, whether you work for yourself or you work for a company is probably one of the biggest key factors in being happy over time. Yeah. If you feel like you're a slave to your office hours, then you're going to feel out of control, which generally makes people feel not so pleased with their day to day. Right. Right. I want to go back to something you said before, because I think it's a valuable piece of information that we all need to consider, which is you said, you know, your priorities cha have changed, obviously, as your phase of life have changed. And when you were young and single, like you wanted different things and then you got a family and then you want different things from there. And I think that's a piece we often forget to acknowledge or anticipate um, when thinking about what will make us happy in work. The things that made me happy when I was in my early 20s were lots of travel for free, of course, on, you know, on somebody else's dime, which I got to do. Lots of professional development opportunities. I wanted to go to every conference and every event, and I just wanted to do all the things. And it was because I didn't have anybody waiting for me you know, to be home at six o'clock. And so I could just come and go as I pleased and live my life, and I had the best time. And then as I got into my later half of my 20s, uh, and I got a boyfriend who's now my husband, Again, he's a home at sixer. And so he was like, but wait, don't, don't you want to see me Monday through Friday? And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I do. So then it shifted and it was like, what was more important was, you know, higher paycheck and better um, flexibility of my schedule. And then, you know, as we move into having children in the relatively near future, I know that it'll shift even more. And so I think it's important to allow yourself to want different things and to be motivated by different things as you go through your career. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think actually what I learned too, and I have this sort of talk with a lot of my clients, at least career clients, is that I, I don't focus too much on like what age they are. I focus a little bit more so on like what life stage they're at. I mean, you, you know, if you're, to, if you're like in LA where people do yeah. all different ages than other places. I mean, you could have someone who has like, who's single and in their forties and you could have someone who's 20 and has three kids. Right. And you have to talk to them different. You can't just say, Oh, well you're in your twenties. So this is what you want. It's like, no, no that's right. not, it's not like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Everybody hits their life phases at very different times and, it's always interesting to see um, the people around you, like your coworkers and your friends, as you kind of pass each other and then pass each other again. And, you know, you kind of take turns being in different spots, but that's part of the ride, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So speaking of your clients, what are some of the things that people come to you most for? I imagine people come to you originally for one purpose and then maybe end up working with you on some different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I would say so individually, definitely people, the question they'll ask is, you know, how do I make a career change, right? And most of the time, it's more of a transition. I would say people say in their 30s, they've worked, you know, five, 10 years, right? Maybe at the same job, maybe at multiple jobs, they're at the point where they're probably making decent money, but they probably don't like what they're doing, right? And the, the trick is like, well, do I give up the steady job for something new? Because the risk is the unknown, Right. And that's the fear of jumping. Um, probably actually, that's probably one of the reasons why we connected in the first place. A hundred percent. I was laughing just now as you were talking because I was like, gosh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, <laughs> actually, let's say how we met. So I think, gosh, I don't even know originally how we got connected online. I want to say this was back during my time in the Santa Monica JCs when I was running membership. I feel like you reached out about learning more about the JCs maybe. And so you got on my radar then. And then it wasn't until maybe two or three years later um, that I reached out when I was in the job that I hated at the ad agency um, and was like, wait, I know somebody that knows about careers. I'm going to hit up Scott. And so I just reached out and said, hey, can we grab coffee? Never having met Scott in real life, but yeah. That's the power of your network and that's the power of online connections. And so we grabbed coffee and, you know, you were so helpful with just putting things in perspective and giving me a little motivation and a, a boost there, confidence boost. And, um, and yeah, and then we've kind of stayed in touch ever since. And I now, I actually in the JCs had Scott come and do a talk on his work as a career coach and the strengths finder and all of that. And it's, it's been really fun too, because you, since I've known you have gone from working for yourself to working for a company back to working for yourself. So, and we've both kind of done probably three or four career pivots in the couple of years that we've actually really known each other, which is the way life goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I think that's, to me, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, no, it's exciting because I think that, you know, one thing that you and I definitely share in common is, is there's always a fear factor of jumping, right? I think like on a daily basis, you wake up and you don't know if you're going to make money, money right? right. Oh, yeah. But I really agree that, you know, for myself, one of my life models has always been that I can live with failure. I just can't live with regret. So, so I never want to look back on my life and just say, you know, I wish I would have done that. I'd rather look back on my life and say, well, I tried, it didn't work, whatever, you know, but I tried it, right? So I think um, being an entrepreneur, or even like a serial entrepreneur, like your, your ideas, your career is going to change, right? Um, I would hope that one thing I've fo been focusing on recently is that once you figure out sort of 
why you do something and hopefully how you do something, the what is going to switch, maybe even yearly, maybe more than that. I don't know. You know, like I can't see myself sticking in one thing for too long. I just get bored too quickly, I guess. I feel like but, that's a very common thing among people yeah. these days, boredom. Yeah. And, but then I feel like once you identify like what you value and what's most important to you, if you can stick on that path, like the sort of what you're doing is going to switch and that's okay. Well, and that's inevitable, right? I think your why or your purpose for working will probably stay mostly the same. I mean, with the exception of those life phase changes and your specific asks from a job, whether it's flexibility of schedule, money, travel, opportunities, whatever. But your why, I think, probably is one of those bedrock pieces of your personality that you'll take with you throughout your career. And there's so many ways, there's so many hows, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many hows for how you can actually be happy and work and feel fulfillment from your job. And as long as you open yourself up to those opportunities and you don't get stuck in the hows, you just sort of Mm -hmm. let them happen. Um, And you do experiment with your career and try new things. And I think that's probably the secret to long lasting fulfillment. I'm banking on it. So you can tell me how that works out. No, and, and back to your point about why people come to you. I think the career transitions are definitely where most of us are totally unprepared for that. You're not taught in school. First of all, they don't teach you even how to get a job. They teach you a little bit of information about a couple of things, and then they just sort of send you out into the world and close the door hard behind you. And so once you get that first job and maybe second and third in the same area, and you get to that point, whether it's 30 or earlier or 40 or 50, whatever it is, where you're like, okay, well, this is fine, but like, what else? What's next? I think that's the part where we all get paralyzed with indecision and fear of the unknown. And depending on your, your grit as a person, I think you either then take that unknown step and you start putting one foot in front of the other towards something that you hope and assume will be better, or you stick it out a little while longer or maybe for the rest of your career. I mean, I know people who have been ready to retire since their forties and it's like, Oh man, I don't want that. I want to like, at least enjoy a little bit what I do because we spend so much time at work that it's kind of crazy to think that we would just stick it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that sounds like very much like a settling statement, you know? Um, and it's kind of sad. Well, I think people get, yeah, no, this will never be me. I know you don't have to worry about that. I have the opposite problem. I'm too ready to leap at any point in time. I thrive on the unknown. It's sick. Um, but yeah, no, I think, um, a lot of it comes down to, I don't even know if it's settling so much as it's, People think that they've invested too much time in something and that it's too late to switch. Or, you know, I see this a lot with industries that require a lot of degrees or a long degree to get their law, medicine, um, you know, things where it's like you've got heavy student loans to pay back. So you bet Mm -hmm. your ass you're staying in that job for at least 10 to 15 years. And I think I get that. That's a totally valid concern. Money is money and student loans are a real bitch. (laughs) I'm in the middle of paying mine back too. (laughs) But I think you can get to a point where you either, you know, you can pivot after a certain number of years or start to take that degree and that knowledge and at least start incorporating different things that you're actually interested in to that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you, what's your advice for people when they come to you and they're like, I'm unhappy, I'm ready to switch, but I don't either know what to do or I'm afraid to make the leap. Like, what do you tell them? I mean, I think the logical 
advice is to make sure that you do you do your research you know i think like three areas i have people do homework on when we're working together is research like okay if you want to jump jobs like what are you going to make like salary right like like if you want to jump from like a hundred thousand dollar a year job to a thirty thousand dollar a year job you better have some money saved up or you better severely change your lifestyle right um also too i think experience and skills is a big thing um what do they expect of you? I think like a good question to ask in interviews a lot of times when they give you the mic back, right? And you're able to ask them questions is, what does an ideal candidate look like in this job? And that gives you a good sense of like, they can write all they want to on those job descriptions and quite, quite frankly- So much of them are BS though. Oh, and, and most of the time, once you read those things with all the bullet points, there's no one who actually meets those there criteria. There is nobody. It's like the perfect yeah. person. I think of them as like, okay, best case scenario, if they could create a, the perfect employee for this job, this is what it looks like. Yeah. So, you know, if you can get like 75% of those bullet points, I feel like you're doing good. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's like, I think an obvious area to sort of look at too. And then also to like education. And what I mean by that is, Maybe they'll look for certain degrees, but then sometimes there's certain certifications or, or potentially degrees that you do need. And so if you want to jump careers into something that's pretty established, like you said, like, like being a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher, like you kind of, there's no wiggle room, like you have to do those things. So if you're considering making a jump into something like say marketing or something where it helps to have a business degree, but you don't necessarily need one, then that's something to consider, right? Like how much do you really want to invest? How much are you going to make? Um, how quick of a jump could you actually make, you know? And are there things in your past experience that you could sort of leverage to help you land this next job, you know? I think when people want to make this jump, they don't really think it through. Like, they don't think through, like, why they, they, just, they just realize, I don't like my job. It's yeah, like, Yeah, well, they're just making a gut reaction. Yeah, yeah, like, I get that. A lot of people don't like their jobs, but what do you want to jump into? And how really look at that? Well, that's, you know, around the time that you and I first had coffee, that was when I was creating the career experiment. And I created it entirely for myself because I realized I was in this job that I didn't love. I knew it after about three days and I was really bummed out about that because I was like, damn it. I had just left my job at General Assembly, which had been a wonderful two years of working, but I knew it wasn't right for me anymore. And so I got into this new job and was like, well, crap, like now what? I can't just jump again. I'm going to look totally flaky. And so I created the career experiment to help me figure out thoughtfully and strategically what I should do next. And ironically, it was originally called Don't Quit Your Day Job, Finding Happiness Without Going Solo, because I kept thinking, well, maybe I should just go out on my own. And then I was like, that's not the answer, Bailey. That's not the answer. Maybe, you know, there are other things you can fix that have to do more with you than um, the companies you've been working for. And ironically, I did end up going out on my own about a year later, but that was the right move. And I knew that for certain because I spent a year going through my own philosophy, you know, aligning my passions to an industry, aligning my strengths to a role and aligning my core motivators to a company culture. All those answers pointed to me as a business. So yeah, I get it though. A lot of times people just know they want out, so they're willing to just walk in any direction. And I think there is something to be said for just taking action. But if you don't acknowledge what is making you unhappy about that job, you're going to keep running back to similar situations. It's just yeah. like relationships. You yeah. got to fix what's wrong. Exactly. With exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I often use the time money knowledge ringer too, which is like, if you're thinking about changing careers or you want to start something new, 
figure out how much time is it going to take you to be able to get experience, learn new things, whatever it is, how much money are you needing to do it, whether it's going back to school or if it's taking a massive pay cut, which is generally the reality if you're trying to switch industries entirely, um, and knowledge, how much are you going to need to learn before you're actually qualified to get a job like that? So it's important to pause and think about that. Yeah. Do you often have people, once you walk them through your process, be like, oh, okay, actually, maybe this job isn't that bad. Maybe it was like something else that was off about it. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes people think that the goal or my goal to work with them is to make them switch jobs, which it really isn't. I think my goal is to make sure that they feel more confident about what they're actually good at. And if that means it's time to switch jobs and that's what it means, it'll make that pretty clear. But I try to tell people that when they're working with me that, Helping you figure out what you want to do next is going to be the easy part, but getting to know who you are and understanding what you're good at and maybe what you shouldn't or shouldn't do, that's going to be sort of more the insight you're going to get, you know, because I really feel like as a leader, being self-aware is probably the most important trait to have. And so, I mean, like I said, I'm not so locked in on this idea that your next job is going to be the one you're going to, you're going to stay with for the rest of your life, because I think that's just unrealistic. And I don't maybe think it's a reality for anybody. Bad, bad advice. Yeah. Yeah. So I I would like to think that the certain type of process that I try to teach is something that you can use when a year from now you decide to go through this process again. Right. And I think that's something that you've done with career experiment too. It's like not this idea that, Oh, I'm going to help you figure out what you're going to do next. And that's going to like help you be set for the rest of your life. It's more so, no, this is where you are right now. This is where you want to go. Let me help close that gap. Closing the gap is exactly the point. It's like, where are you today? Where do you want to be? say in a year from now, and how do you get there? That's the whole philosophy of the new project that I'm working on, the one-year career, to make big moves with small steps. And it's, it's not to figure out only your next and final move. It's a process that you repeat forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we are ever-changing dynamic creatures, and the nature of being a human being is that we're going to change. And that's yeah. fantastic. If we didn't change, what would be the point? You know, we'd be on cruise control for the rest of our lives. And most of us would get very bored with that very quickly. So mm-hmm. I think if you can arm yourself with the tools and the strategies to actually continue to come back to those same questions whenever you're starting to feel the itch, then you're going to be in a much better place from then on out. Yeah, totally agree. And it's funny, you said confidence before, and I find that that has come up a couple of times in my conversations where usually when people are starting to get antsy and want to make a change in their career, it's because they're not fully understanding like how they fit into their situation. And a lot of times people are totally undervaluing what they bring to the table because they just, they don't have perspective. So how do you help people find that confidence in their skills and their strengths and be able to then kind of get an oomph, right? A confidence boost for going after something that maybe they would originally not have felt qualified to go after. Yeah. Well, I think it's really easy the longer you are at something to kind of forget like why you even stepped into it in the first place, you know? And I think what something like the strength finder does is it doesn't give you results. Like I said, that are like a surprise. They should be more of like an endorsement for what you're already, what are you, maybe you've already been doing or you really are potentially really great at. Um, I think like for me, a big part of, career coaching that works is just helping to build someone's confidence. And quite frankly, confidence is kind of like that 
cartoon snowball that rolls down the hill, it gets bigger and bigger. It's, it's really, really built cool. on momentum. Totally. And the momentum is built on achievement. And so that's where sort of goals come into play, right? You talk about some, taking small steps. I know I remember you saying that right now. Like, I think like at the beginning part, you set these baby steps and you just knock them out, right? Like, don't be overambitious at first and say like, well, I'm going to get a new job in a month. It's like, well, I mean, you're, yeah, you're setting, setting yourself, yourself up to fail. Sure. I right? bet McDonald's and Starbucks are hiring right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, I think like, you know, sort of building that momentum and achieving things and setting goals for yourself and knocking those things out, you're going to figure things out about yourself. And I think a lot of this trial and error. And I think anyone who successfully has done that will tell you that, or they should tell you that because that's really what it's about. You know, it's like one formula is not going to work for everybody, but um, you know, you could, you could be placed in your dream job tomorrow. Right. But if you don't have the confidence in your abilities to be able to succeed in that role, what's the point of getting that job? Yeah. You'll right? probably squander it or you, you know, you won't bring your a game because you don't know what your a game is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think one thing that you said that I'll jump off of is that, you know, a big part of where you should be is where, is where you fit. Right. Like I think a lot of times on interviews, we think that we're there to tell them how awesome we are. And quite frankly, 90, 95% of people do that. And there's nothing particularly wrong with it because you're not there to tell them how bad you are, but it's really more so about how you fit into their organization and what value you bring to make them look better. Right. right. And I think a big part of having like a sort of this quiet self-confidence by yourself is being able to go in there and say that and live with the results, you know, like, I want to be able to, to go into a situation and pitch myself in a way where they understand what I'm all about. And if they decide to say no, that's fine. But if they come away confused about what I said, that's my fault. Right. right. So, so yeah. part of the strengths is being focused and knowing who you are and what you bring to the table. So how do you go into a, an interview? I mean, it's so easy on the outside, right? Like looking and being like, well, yeah, of course, when you go interview, you need to actually be your real self and you need to make sure that it's a good fit for you and you need to ask all the right questions. But when you're there, and we all know how awful job hunting can be, um, when you actually get in the room for an interview, you know that it's like probably a two to two week to one month process at that point. And so there is that natural inclination to just put on a show and be like, please just hire me. I don't even care anymore. How do you work with your clients and help them understand that that isn't actually going to behoove them in the long run? Like, are there tips that you have? Because I'm asking for myself too. <laughs> I've done this plenty of times where I'm like, I know what they want me to say. So I'm going to say it. I know how to, inter I can interview, I can wow anybody in an interview, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the right fit for either of us. Sure. Sure. I mean, one thing I do do towards the end is we try to role play, you know, so I'll play like the employer and they'll play the employee. And I try to run through questions I feel like they would ask, you know, and I think the ones that pop into my mind that are generally asked no matter what are in some form of, of um, these type of questions are, you know, what are your strengths? They won't straight out ask you that, but they'll ask, you know, why should we hire you? And that's pretty much my next question. I was going to say, so how do you weave in those talking points about yourself, like, cause there are, I feel like there's like a book of 100 interview questions that every manager pulls mm -hmm. from. Um, you know, what are some of the common questions that people say, you know, one of the ones I've heard is like, tell me about some, a time in your career that you succeeded or you overcame a challenge. Like 
at what point do you weave in those strength talking points about yourself? So it's not super obvious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of try to do it a little bit in every question. I think the question that you just asked is a, obviously is like a past behavior question. So you essentially, what you want to do is you want to give them an example of when you've used one of your strengths in the past, you know? And so if you can do that, it clearly illustrates number one, that you have done something successful, but number two, you understand what it is that helped you be successful. Right. So I think a lot of it is like, you know, I think I told you when we first met that the strengths are something that become such a part of you that at the end of the day, you should be able to sort of recite examples of when you've used each five of them and not because it's like this test that you want to pass, but just, it's so entwined in who you are now that you can't, but help go through a day with like doing those things. Like, like not, not even, even about them. that's a really solid point. And until you see what your five strengths are, you might not recognize the reasons behind those moments when you were successful. But once you have them, like for me, one of mine is individualism. And it made perfect sense when I read it because it's all about how I treat every single person I meet as I think they want me to treat them, not like a blanket, you know, behavior across the board. And that makes perfect sense because I'm obsessed with meeting new people and collaborating with others and networking. And I think a lot of that comes down to being intrinsically fascinated by every individual that I meet, not assuming I know anything. And so when I look back on my career, I can point to times where I led a team of people on a project or I was able to, you know, like come to a conflict resolution in a situation because I was able to very clearly see both sides. So something that could be really fun for you guys to do if you're listening, if you haven't taken the strengths finder, 100% take it. It's so worth your time and it's just a really valuable piece of information. It's by far and away my favorite um, personality assessment, professional one at least. And so I would recommend take it and then look at your five strengths and try and like pinpoint moments throughout your life where those have come in handy. So you do have those examples on hand that you can just whip out, you know, anytime somebody is trying to get to, you know, know you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think another way too to prepare for interviews also is like some people would ask me before and we did this ironically the first time we met is like, what do you do when you meet someone for coffee that you haven't met before? Right. And it's like, well, in my mind, it's like, why put added pressure on yourself? Like, are you trying to sell something? Because if you are, you're probably not going to succeed at that, right? I know we met, you know, we had talked about stuff briefly, like on LinkedIn or email or something like that, right? And I was like, I want to meet Bailey and we've connected online. Why not meet in person? It's always better that way. And so you don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. You don't want to be a fool when you go in there, right? But you also don't want to feel like you have this sense of, oh, I want to win her over. I want to impress her to the point where it's like, she can't but help like, you know, brag about me or something like that. It's more so just like, just go in there trying to form a connection. And I think people overthink that in interviews. Like, I'll tell you, if you can connect well with the person who's interviewing you, you're, the chances of them thinking about you and bringing you back for a second interview, like increase dramatically. I'm and so glad you even, said that. Yeah. Because no, that's a piece that comes up a lot too, is finding that common thread with somebody quickly can feel really difficult, right? And this is something great salespeople know how to do really well um, because it's about being memorable, right? It's about mm -hmm. like getting in their brain in a favorable way so that whether you're right for that job or not, 
kind of doesn't really matter because if somebody likes you and they see something in you, even if it's a commonality between the two of you, I was chatting about this with somebody the other day about how, you know, she mentions where she's from all the time because chances are somebody knows somebody from there or they want to visit there or they're from there. And even if that's the only commonality you share, you suddenly are on the same team in some capacity. And mm -hmm. I think the mm -hmm. sooner you can get on the same team with somebody, uh, the more likely it is that they're going to want to be part of your network or your community or hire you or anything like that. So it's super important. Yeah. I, I mean, I think in, in a weird way too, this is maybe not the job advice that you want to hear if you're looking for a new job, but in a lot of ways, sometimes the best way to network is to interview. Um, you may not get that job because quite frankly, the chances of you getting the job is pretty minute anyway, because there's so many people applying for the same thing. Don't be depressed, guys. It's okay. You'll get a job <laughs> one day. <laughs> it's but, just a sad I, reality. Yeah, but, but I found that like going into those type of situations and being on the interviewee side and just sort of, you know, just sharing what you can offer and things like that, it may not equate to getting that job, but it may equate to doing something together down the road. And, you know, so a lot of it is about bridge building, right? And building on commonalities, things like that. Um, most of the time people go into a situation and they just want something right away. And that's just not reality, you know? But if you build your network over time, you'd be surprised what comes back later on down the road. I can't harp on it enough. Your network is how you, how you get through your career in a way that isn't lonely and awful and, you know, to back to the point of like, it's unlikely or the percentage of you getting the job that you're applying for is really low. Guess what exponentially increases your likelihood of getting it? If you know somebody at the company, hell, if you know the person actually doing the hiring, like, unless you really suck at your job, you're probably a shoe in. And so this is why I'm so big on networking. And I know people hate the word networking and it feels, it feels like fake or it feels forced, but I don't look at it that way at all. I look at networking as you're curating your community, right? You're like mm -hmm. out there meeting new people. And I always say, never assume that you know what somebody's going to do for you because you have no idea. Even if like I've, I've taught a networking workshop and one of the people in there said, well, I met this person and they were super nice and they followed up with me. But like, I looked at their LinkedIn profile and they're not in the industry I'm trying to get into. They don't know anybody I'm trying to know. So like, I don't think I'm going to follow up. And I'm like, the hell you're not following up. You're emailing them back right now because you don't know who their cousin, brother, or best friend is who is working at a place you want to get into. Or also people are people. Like we're not just transactions, right? And I think mm -hmm. if you go into mm -hmm. new relationships thinking like, I just genuinely want to know who this person is and see if there's some kind of overlap here and then go from there, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I think for myself, when I go into a situation where I meet someone for the first time, whether it's for business reasons or for personal reasons, I try to have, sort of have this student mentality of just being curious. Yes. Curiosity and, is key. Yeah. And if you don't have an agenda, the other person can tell you don't have an agenda. Like if you want to disarm someone right off the bat, don't try to sell them something. Yeah. You know? Or I mean, ask just for something just right away. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I usually say like when you're meeting somebody for the first time, um, always be curious about them. Always ask them more questions because human nature is such that if you leave a conversation and somebody's just spent 30 minutes asking about you, you're going to leave and you're going to be like, wow, that person was really great. <laughs> Even if you actually didn't really learn a lot about them, yeah. you can't help but like somebody when they show interest in you.
Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not anything but human nature. So just, you know, take it for what it is. But, and I always say too, um, if you can give somebody an opportunity to help you not ask for something, but if you can give them an opportunity to be useful for you, people also love to help, but they like for it to be their idea. Mm-hmm. 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 So yeah, not coming in and saying, hey, can you get me a job at this company? But saying, hi, nice to meet you, get to know them, ask them questions. And they say, yeah, like I'm, I'm working on finding a new role in this kind of industry right now. Like just working on the process, meeting people, not directly coming out and saying, hey, do you know anybody? Because that feels, yeah. you know, oh God. Um, but if you give them the opportunity to say, actually, you know what? I think my roommate's ex-boyfriend works at that company. Let me just hit him up and see if, you know, he'd be willing to make an intro then they feel really good about themselves and you've yeah. gotten something out of it. Everybody wins. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you and I met each other online and that we both came to coffee with no expectations. And yeah. I've been able to then from there kind of volley back and forth with helping one another. And I think what you do is fantastic. So on behalf of everybody, thanks, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Any final thoughts for the career hunters out there? I mean, I'll, I'll end with just a couple of brief points. Number one, I think um, one thing that really changed my perspective on my professional life is to stop treating networking as a goal and start treating it as a lifestyle. Yes. So I'm, I'm totally on board with you in terms of like, yeah, it's good to set goals in terms of like how many people to talk to or meet per week sort of thing. But I look at it more so as like a journey rather than just like a destination. So that's been really helpful to me. And when I made that shift, I think things started to change with it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too is like, in terms of advice for, for careers, if you're thinking about jumping, um, I like to use visuals because that's what, what sticks with me. And so like, if you think of a Venn diagram of three circles, think of it as one is passion, one is experience, and one is strengths. And your next career should be right in the middle of those three. Mm-hmm. Ideally. Um, and, you know, it takes some time to figure that out, but like with most things, you know, that's when you're, when you're looking for the next thing and the next thing is something that you want to be better than what it is right now, it should take some time, right? It shouldn't just be something you can just snap your fingers and just make a <laughs> Right. If it's easy, then everybody would be trading jobs left and right. And right. it's even more chaotic than it already is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, but I mean, you know, those type of, those things I think are, have been really helpful for myself. And like something I think you and I both talk about a lot is that sometimes the greatest inventions in terms of like what you want to do next in terms of career, whether it's entrepreneurship or it's, you know, your next job is like, you think of it, like, what do you need? Right. And you put yourself in the client's shoes or customer's shoes and you sort of create something out of that. And so, I think both you and I have shared that like what worked for us became something that we ended up making money on right? because we, we were like the ideal client at first. Right. And expanded from there. So. Yeah. All fantastic advice. Well, we got to have another coffee soon. Thank you so much for being here, Scott. No problem.